got your hands full. You got a showman there. Well, we're so thankful for the message that the children have offered up to us today, and I pray that you, you take those words to heart and you think about how much God loves you uh, this morning, and that you just dwell in His presence and in His love, thanking Him for all that He's done for you on the cross. And that's what we do when we come together. We come together to worship. Today, we're going to begin a two-part uh, message. So we got today, and then next Sunday when we come back together, we'll pick up part two on the ministry of the church. The church's ministry is what we're focusing on today and thinking about that. When you hear the word ministry, you, you probably automatically what comes to mind is certain things like the CSM, our Christian social ministry that we have every week, our food pantry, uh, and they also do some counseling and prayer and then blood pressure checks over there. Uh, and then also uh, back behind there, our clothing ministry, uh, where uh, some of our folks get together and they, they go through and sort through clothing donations and then uh, distribute those out to people who need, need clothing. You probably think of things like that. You probably think, may think of things like the PLC, the, the Preschool Learning Center, which is a ministry of our church, really. Uh, it, it is it's a non-for-profit, um, and these teachers devote their time in... Uh, taking care of our of our children and teaching them uh, the word what what that they can understand on a level that they can understand, so you probably think of ministries like that, but many of you probably don 't think about the church 's primary ministry and think of it as a ministry, but the church 's primary ministry is to feed the flock to feed the people of God the Word of God, so that they may grow spiritually that is the primary ministry of the church. All of the other ministries are to support that ministry of making disciples of Jesus Christ and and growing disciples of Jesus Christ. I remember whenever I was younger, I would sit down at my mother's table. And at my mother's table, there was always plenty of food to eat. She always made sure we had plenty of food to eat. And I, I didn't like all of the food that she cooked because I didn't care for broccoli, and I didn't like spinach, and I didn't like peas. But I had to eat everything that was there because it was a balanced meal, and I needed that nutrition. And I remember even whenever I was a kid, I got my Flintstone vitamins. Anybody ever get your Flintstone vitamins? You remember that? And my mom made sure that I was physically fed, and I got the nutrition that I needed. The church is the place where you are to come to be spiritually fed. Now, you come here to get spiritually fed. You come here to learn. You come here to receive the Word of God. And and this is a a once-a-week meal that you, you need to have. Throughout the week, though, with the tools and the resources and the training that you get at church, you should take that out into the world and get into the Word of God on a daily basis and then live out the principles of the Word of God that you receive. And so Paul, in writing to Timothy, wants to explain to Timothy how important it is that he prepares himself as the minister to the church in Ephesus so that he can be ready to feed the flock. It's so important. It's so vital. And so what a, the, uh, the rule today, we've, we've been going through uh, these house rules, the rules for God's house, and we talked about how to keep the main thing the main thing. 
Then we said, secondly, this house shall be called a house of prayer. And then we talked about following your leaders, namely your, your one true authority, which is Jesus. Remember, He's the head of the church. I heard somebody say one day that a church with no head is dead. A church with two heads is an abomination. And I agree with that. I'm not trying to be the head of the church. I don't want to be the head of the church. Somebody said, uh, Pastor Josh, it was a kid, uh, who owns the church? And then, you know, one of my boys was there. I don't remember which one it was. It said, said um, he doesn't own the church. And I, I agree with that. I don't own the church. I'm not the head of the church. I'm the pastor of the church, the under-shepherd of the church. Rule number four. Come hungry, leave happy. Come hungry, leave happy. Now, hold on now. You've heard that before, haven't you? I stole that one from IHOP. (laughs) But come hungry, leave... And what do I mean by that? If you will come hungry for the Word of God when you come to church then God will feed you through His Holy Spirit. And you will receive the Word implanted that is able to save your souls. And you'll go out from this place and you will be of value to the people around you because God's Word is within you. You'll be a mature Christian. You won't stay stagnant and, and, and have stunted growth as a Christian, but you will have a, a maturity that comes from feeding on the Word of God. But you've got to come hungry. You got to want it. You got to desire this. Well, you can't flick the peas under the chair like Taylor used to do whenever we fed him peas. He'd just take the peas off his plate and just kind of flick them while we weren't watching. But we would catch him doing it and we'd find peas everywhere, <laughs> all over the dining room and kitchen. There'd be peas everywhere. You got to come hungry in order to leave happy. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's just read. We're going to read uh, verses 11 through 14 there, Miss Sue. I'm sorry I didn't tell you that ahead of time. All right, open your Bible there. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Paul tells Timothy, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. That word means look down on you. So for Timothy, as, as a spiritual leader of the church... The people weren't to be looking down at him because of his youthfulness, but they were to be looking up to him for his example. Now, listen to what he says. Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. And we pray, God, that we would be a people who are hungry for your word. Lord, that as we come together, Lord, we would always feast together on the riches of your grace that is outlined for us in Scripture. And Father, that we would... Leave, not just happy, Lord, but overflowing in such a way that we can be used in the world around us to be a light, to be an example, to be an example of love and faith and Christian maturity, Lord. What it means to know You. And Father, that 
as a church, we would grow up in all things into the head who is Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Timothy's primary calling is to feed the flock spiritually. And as we come together, the church's primary ministry. It doesn't matter who you are. If you've been a Christian for very long, you are called to these same things. You are called to Christian maturity. The ability to be able to communicate the principles of the faith to others around you. Now, you don't, you're not all called to stand and preach. You're not all called to teach uh, in, a, in a classroom. But you are all called to know and demonstrate the truth of the Word of God. Now, Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us again that Paul says this is why the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds, the pastors, and the teachers, why they exist. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. If you have a solid diet of the Word of God, you will become a mature Christian. The problem with so many of us and the reason why we don't grow as we should as Christians is because we leave the Bible on the shelf and we let it collect dust. How many of you would go without a meal for a week? I mean, except for maybe for fasting. How many of you go without a meal? You said, no, not a week. We're not going to do that. Let's exclude fasting for that purpose, okay? Just for any other reason. Go without a meal for a week. Would you go without a meal for three days? Excluding fasting on purpose for the, for the sake of God. Okay, a couple of you. I don't know why, but a couple of you say. Some of you say, I'm not skipping lunch. I'm going to have lunch with the church. Now, how many of you... Now, don't raise your hand on this. have been guilty of skipping the Word of God for a week or more. I mean, we, we're good. I, you don't have to raise it, but I, I see your hands, and I, I, I receive that as confession. We all do, don't we, sometimes? Now, thankfully, I, thankfully, I've been practicing this for a while now. I got convicted whenever I was a teenager. I need to be in the Word of God every day. Amen. And I don't know that there's been a day since I, was, since I made that commitment that I haven't been in the Word of God. But listen, you need to be in the Word of God every day. If you're willing to uh, say that you, know, you, you wouldn't skip a meal, a physical meal, you need to make sure that you wouldn't skip a meal spiritually either. Now, as we think about this, as far as the church's ministry goes, the church has the responsibility, and Paul is telling Timothy, this is your responsibility to make sure that the church is giving out these things and, and, and leading in these three areas. So these are three areas of responsibility for the church and for church leaders to be able to feed the congregation spiritually and for you to come hungry for and to desire. Okay? All right, so number one. Desire this. Desire sound doctrine. Now we talked about we talk about doctrine, and some people cringe, and there's like doctrine. I don't want to hear about doctrine. Isn't that what the Catholic Church 
teaches is doctrine. Well, here's the thing. Doctrine simply means teaching. And that's the word that that the Bible uh, translates into doctrine here in this scripture is the word for teaching. And And it's not just any teaching, but it's specifically the teaching. We see in the book of Acts early on, chapter 3, that the church is devoting itself to the apostles' teaching. See, they didn't have the New Testament back then. They had what the apostles taught, and they learned it. They taught one another, and it was oral. A lot of it was oral. Some of it began to be written down, and that's why we have the New Testament. Paul taught Timothy sound doctrine. He gave Timothy the bulk of what Christian teaching was teaching at that time. He gave it all to Timothy. He entrusted to him this doctrine. It's a lot of what we do at seminary whenever we send your, your... your pastors to seminary, what they learn is sound doctrine. It's the teaching. They learn the principles of the faith. So let's back up and read verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now, that word depart there is the word apostatize. They will become apostate. They will go away from Sound doctrine, sound teaching. A lot of people will do that. Now, what does he mean by the Spirit expressly says that? Well, we don't know exactly whether this was revelation it was given just to Paul, or Paul is saying, in general, we know this because Jesus himself said that many will fall away. Now, Jesus said that in Matthew's Gospel. So we know that this is going to happen. There's going to be a lot of people who don't want to hear sound doctrine. There's a lot of people who should be here today, know that they should be here today, but they won't come because they will not endure sound doctrine. They'd rather go to some other place where they'll get their ears tickled. And they'll, they'll you know, maybe be fed some self-help motivational psychology rather than sound doctrine. Well, in Timothy's church, this was a problem. He says, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now, that's a, that's a whole lot of descriptive terminology to describe someone who is engaging in false teaching. They're standing where I'm standing today. They're standing in a pulpit like this somewhere today. And they're teaching people something other than the Bible. And and Paul is saying that they're liars. And they can stand up there and do that. They can live a life that's not in line with Scripture. And then they can stand and they can preach something other than Scripture. And the reason that they can do that is because they've seared their consciences. And that word, they've become calloused over time. Now, how, how do you get calluses? It's over time. Anybody um, have any calluses on your hands or on your feet? I know Cody has some calluses on his fingers from playing the guitar. If he didn't, that, that would hurt really bad to do in Brother Jim to do what they did this morning, play the guitar, because when you first pick up a guitar and you don't have calluses, it hurts. You do that for about 15 minutes, it hurts. And you put it down. So you have to pick it up daily. And you get calluses. Well, here's the thing. The way that you develop those calluses is over time, and the way that you develop spiritual calluses is that over time, the Spirit sends conviction into your life And then you ignore the conviction of the Spirit. And you do that today. Then tomorrow He comes and He says the same thing. And you ignore Him. You push Him away. 
You do that again the next day, the next day, and pretty soon, you don't even hear the Holy Spirit anymore. Pretty soon, you don't even know that He's convicting you anymore. And those men or women, whoever it is, that can stand in that pulpit and stand there and lie to the people and tell them something other than the Word of God can stand there and do that without any conviction because they've seared their consciences. And Paul says, don't follow those kind of people and don't be like those people. He says, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, there's a couple of indications how you can realize that someone is not teaching the truth of the gospel by these two words. We know this false doctrine doctrine, and we can identify false doctrine all the time if you see these two things. Notice that he says they forbid. Anybody that stands up and begins to forbid things, uh, that, then you have a problem with that teaching. False teachers were forbidding marriage, which was an institution created by God for the propagation of the earth. God loves marriage. And some people were forbidding that. I've never known certain sects, so-called sects of Christianity that forbid short pants. Or watching television. Or you name it, wearing hair long or wearing hair short or all those kinds of things. Forbidding something. Colossians 2, 20 and following says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to the human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion. Now, I want you to think about those words for just a minute. Self-made religion is not the same thing as a relationship with Jesus. And we talk about sound doctrine. What we are promoting with sound doctrine is the truth that you are a sinner But Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. And then He died for you on the cross. And then on the third day, He was raised again. I don't know if you paid any attention to Brother Chuck Kiesler's prayer this morning. But that prayer, where is Brother Chuck? There you are. You're in the shadow over there. Brother Chuck preached the gospel when he prayed. He was preaching sound doctrine. You notice he didn't get up here and start forbidding things and telling you what you can and can't do. Issuing a a, a list of laws. Now he said, said, this self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value, value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The only thing that can cure your human heart, the sickness of the human heart, which is called sin, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that can fix you. And so, even though some people were teaching that you can't get married, and then others were requiring a particular diet. Now look at what it says now. So the first word is forbid, the second word is require. And this is all about a uh, developing a system of keeping the law, or keeping a type of law. That is man-made religion. 
in order to work your way up to God. That's a false doctrine. In fact, that's apostate religion. We're not told exactly what the diet was, but we hear what Paul's answer to it was, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So Paul goes ahead and settles the arguments, and some in the Mediterranean world forbade eating meat sacrificed to idols. Some people uh, forbade eating meat altogether. And which I'm glad that um, we don't have to live under that regulation because I really like a ribeye. Even though I haven't been able to for- afford one in, I don't know, about six months or so, I hadn't had a ribeye. I'm ready to have one. Allison's been buying sirloin and whatever other beef jerky she could find on the, on the shelf. But one day I'm going to have a ribeye again whenever the new administration is in office. Um, but <laughs> some people were saying you couldn't eat meat. Now Paul has a response to this and he, over in Galatians. He said, listen, I, I, I wouldn't eat meat if it offended somebody. I'm just not going to. But on the other hand, there's nothing wrong with eating meat. In fact, God gave all the living creatures to Noah in the book of Genesis. And to, to us as food. And some Jews, and even today, the neo-Messianic churches, by the way, they're not true Messianic churches. They're, they're a false type of Messianic church. They today teach that Christians must eat a kosher diet. No cheeseburgers, no catfish, no shellfish. No cubs. Man, that place is good. Just to name a few. And it's okay to keep a kosher diet. It's okay to diet. I don't care if you want to do that. Nobody says don't diet because you can diet if you want to. Alright? There's, there's thousands, maybe even a million diets out there that you can pick from. And that's wonderful. I don't particularly care for diets because you, you know how diet is spelled, right? It's die with a T on the end. That's all it is. So I don't particularly diet, but you can diet if you want to. The problem is, whenever you, re, whenever you require the diet, in order to say that you're a true Christian, this is true Christian character, is a diet. Now, we know that that's not true. We know that that's absolutely not true. And here's, but here's the truth, and I want you to get this one, okay? I want you to think about this formula. I've shared it before, but I'm going to share it today. Jesus plus anything. You fill in the blank. Jesus plus whatever. Going to church. Jesus plus dressing a certain way. Jesus plus a diet. Jesus plus speaking in tongues. Jesus plus tithing. Jesus plus keeping the law. Anything that you would put in that blank equals heresy. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. It's never been anything that you did. It's always what He did for you. And Jesus plus anything is apostate religion. It's simply heresy. And that's the true doctrine of the faith. That's the doctrine that you and I hold to and cling to. The remedy for false doctrine is what Paul tells Timothy is to teach this doctrine. Teach Christ 
in the church. Look at verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. See, Timothy didn't get saved because he ate the right things, and Timothy didn't get saved because he didn't get married. Timothy got saved because he believed on the name of Jesus Christ. So when you come to church, don't expect to get fed a diet of fluff enough. Because you're not going to get fed fluff. Not here. You're going to be fed sound doctrine. So come hungry, leave happy. A.W. Tozer said, moral power has always accompanied definite beliefs. In other words, if we want power in this church, if we want God to show up and do a mighty work, it means that we have to define our belief. We have to decide that Jesus Christ is the only way, that there is no other, and that He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. We need to define that. Then he says, great saints have always been dogmatic. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that they're they're pounding people over the head with their religion. What that means is that they stand on truth. We need to return to a gentle dogmatism. Notice he says gentle there. We're not pounding this on people, but we're, we're standing firm on it. That smiles while it stands stubborn and firm on the Word of God that lives and abides forever. Amen. So, sound doctrine. And then secondly, though, If we're going to be taking care of people's needs spiritually, we've got to focus and hone in on spiritual discipline. And you have to come hungry for spiritual discipline. Now, discipline. The writer of Hebrews says, no one enjoys discipline at the time. But later on, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What do you think about that? Right now, right now. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to get spanked. I, I don't know if you grew up in a household where your parents spanked. I did. And I deserved every one of them that I got. I deserved every one of them. And I deserved a few more that I didn't get. But at the, in the moment, it was not pleasant. It was not wonderful. I didn't enjoy it. But later on, I realized... That I needed it. And listen, discipline for the Christian is so important. So Paul goes about talking about training. And he says to, to Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. The, the word there, irreverent, really means pointless or godlessness. Pointlessness. Godless. So, so there's, there's talk and there's things that we can do that are pointless and irreverent. And a lot of churches really capitalize on fun and doing things in a fun way, in an enjoyable way. There's nothing wrong with fun. There's nothing wrong with any of that. It's whenever it crosses the line into silliness. Now listen to what it says here. He says, don't have anything to do with these myths, these silly myths. The word silly there literally means, it's an idiom, and what it means is old woman. Now, don't take offense because Paul goes on to talk about older women and how wonderful they are in the church in just a, just a chapter. So don't take offense by that. And what he means by that, the idiom that he means is that the, these char- this character trait 
of an older woman who just doesn't care about anything. She just almost lost her mind. Not a Christian woman, not a church-going woman, not the person that he's going to talk about in a minute. But that's what that idiom means. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. If you're offended by that, we'll talk about it later. All right, then the word myth. We know what a myth is. And it's a legendary story that just isn't true. It's usually having to do with some gods. And the King James Version translates these words, old wives' tales. Now, you know what this is like. I mean, you've heard your, your grandmother or somebody say, quit making that face or it gets stuck like that. Or, or I said, can I have some coffee? My grandma said, no, it'll stunt your growth. Now, here's another one of those old wives' tales that I just don't participate in, and I don't care, and my years usually pretty good, pretty good, except for 2020. Um, eat your black-eyed peas on New Year's Eve so you'll have good luck all year. Y'all ever, y'all ever propagate that one, anybody? Yeah. Um, we would call these old wives' tales. Well, it was even more serious in Paul's day with Timothy, and this is why it's so important for Timothy, is that some of these were filtering into the teaching of the church. Where some of these myths and these legends about gods and all of these things were filtering into church. And and Paul is saying, listen, you can't spend any time with any of that. You need to get focused on sound doctrine and training in that. Now he goes on to this. He says, rather train yourself for godliness. Training. Discipline. For while, the body, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds a promise for the re, uh, present life and also for the life to come. If you think about bodily training, I know some people in this church that get up bef- way before daylight and they go down to the gym and they work out and they work out all morning and they're already tired before the day is over because they worked out so early in the morning. I don't participate in that. But good for you if you're disciplined enough to do that. Good for you. And it's a good and so Paul says it's it's of some benefit. It's good to take care of your body to eat the right things and it's good to exercise. So if we talk about sound doctrine, that's really your diet. If we talk about discipline, that's your exercise or your training and getting serious about it. Now, bodily discipline, bodily training is of some benefit, Paul says. And it's, it's, here's one benefit that we can take away from it, is that you watch an athlete and how they train, and Paul points to that example and he says, look, that's how you ought to train in the spiritual, in your spiritual life. Put that kind of effort, put that kind of training in your spiritual self. I, I looked up uh, the, uh, uh, the training schedule that an Olympian athlete, Olympic athlete uh, shared. Now she's a, a triathlon athlete. She wakes up at 5.30 a.m. and swims 5,200 meters, 5,200 meters. You say, how far is that? Pastor Josh, that's about 3.2 miles of swimming every morning. Okay? And she does kicks, and she does flies, and she does backstrokes, and she does free swimming. 
And she does all of that before 9 a.m. in the morning. Then, at 9 a.m., she runs on a track. She does 2.5 miles of of a warm-up, which is faster. Her warm-up is faster than most that you and I can sprint. Okay? And then she does sprints, 800-meter sprints, with two minutes in between. She does four of those. And then she cools down with another two and a half miles. That's, that's over seven miles. And she just swam, you know, 3.2 miles. And then at three in the afternoon, so she takes a little break, she has some lunch, and she gets all the nutrients that she needs, but then she gets right back out there and spends another hour and a half on her bike, training on her bike with a 20-minute warm-up and six times for uh, 15 seconds at max speed and then two minutes at tempo for an hour and a half. And that's her day of training. Then she goes to bed and she wakes up and she does it all over again. Why does she do that? In order to be conditioned for her performance whenever it's time for the triathlon. And see, you and I, as we come together and we're, we're working through Scripture and we're diving into it and reading it and we're training in it, we're learning the, the truths of Scripture. What are we doing? We're training for the real world out there so that we put it in our hearts in our secret place with the Lord. We get into the Word and we train in it. Now, whenever it's time in that moment to share the hope that's within us, we don't have to fumble around and figure it out. We know it. And we're ready. And see, Paul didn't want Timothy to stagger up on the stage and not be ready and not be prepared to share the Word of God with the people of God. He wanted him to be ready. And listen, he wants you to be ready so that in that moment you can lead people to Jesus. So many of us, we shy away from that encounter. We shy away from that evangelism encounter. We shy away from sharing the truth of Scripture with our friends or our co-workers because we're unprepared. We have not trained in the spiritual discipline. We haven't spent time with the Lord. We slept to the last minute. We jumped up out of bed real quick, threw our clothes on and took off, went, grabbed, grabbed our coffee and took off out the door. And that's how we approached the day. Whenever God said, I want the first of your day with you. We didn't get into the Word of God. So, I mean, when it comes up, we think, oh yeah, I know this Bible says something about that, but we're unprepared to share where, when we saw that. We don't celebrate the things of God. We have something wonderful happen in our life and we say, oh, that was great. And we move on. We don't take time to say, God, thank you. And see, God wants us to do all of these things so that we will be ready on that day. And so he goes on to say that when we do the physical exercise, it gives us the blessings here right now for life. So we'll have a life and power to live. But listen, when we train in the Spirit of God, we have power to live a spiritual life. We have power to, to go out and face the day. And we also have the promise for eternal life. That all of these things are going to yield the fruit of righteousness in the end. And so spiritual discipline 
Come ready to train when you come to church in spiritual discipline. Thirdly, the church, and Timothy in particular, is called, was called, to model sacrificial devotion. So, sound doctrine, spiritual discipline, and sacrificial devotion. Now, every, every athlete who trains, every person who learns, every student, you have to have motivation in order to do that, right? And some of you say, well, the pastor's telling me I need to do this, and that's why I need to do this. The pastor's telling me I need to get in the Word. The pastor's telling me I need to come hungry to church for the Word. The pastor's telling me I need to train in spiritual disciplines. But somebody needs to ask the obvious question. And that is, why? Why should I? Why should I take it? Can't I just come and sit in the pew? Can't I just be an average churchgoer? Why do I need to grow? Why do I need to be mature in all of those things? Why? Why do I need to do that? Well, listen to what Paul tells Timothy. He says, command and teach these things. The pastor's standing in the pulpit and he's saying to people, this is what you need. That's what that word command means. This is what you need to do. Now, remember from last week, were you here? Did you pay attention? Are you awake right now? Okay. Last week I said, the only reason I have the right to tell you anything about how you live your life is because the Word of God is saying the same thing to you that it's saying to me, and I'm just telling you what the Word says. And so Paul tells Timothy, command these things. Why? Stand on the authority of the Word and tell people that this is what we do as Christians. And make sure you command it. Make sure that they know that this is a command. It's not just a suggestion. This is a command. And then he goes on to say, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example in speech. It reminds me of what James says. He says, We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James is saying, If you can control your tongue, you're a perfect person. Any perfect people out here? Who? And so what James does is he points us to Jesus and he says, Jesus can bridle your tongue. Jesus can take control of your mouth. If you'll submit it to him, he'll take control of it. And so he's saying, set the example in that. And then he goes on to say, set the example in conduct. 1 Peter 2.12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then he says, set the example of love. The pastor should set an example for love. And the word here is agape. And that is sacrificial love and devotion. And here we are, now getting at the heart. Paul is beginning to get at the heart of why. And the reason is, that Jesus loves us so much. God loves you so much that He would show agape love to you. That He would send His one and only Son to die for you. And it should humble you. And and here's the thing. John says we love because He loved us first. That's the reason we love. Faith. Trusting in Christ for everything. Here's a good acronym for love. He says set the example in faith. Here's a good acronym for uh, faith. I mean, now here it is. Forsaking all. I trust Him. Forsaking all other hope of salvation, I just trust in Jesus. 
That's what it means to have faith. Purity. We've, we've mentioned Romans 12 here recently, but I want to read it to you again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Purity. And then he goes on to say you, to Timothy, you've got a gift and you need to use it. Can I tell you right now, here's another reason why. Not only has Jesus done it for you, done it first. He himself was so spiritually disciplined and devoted to God that he went to the cross for you. Even though his flesh was weak and it said no, his spirit desired to honor God. And he went to the cross. And so here's the thing. He goes on to say each and every one of us too has been gifted now by God. You have a gift. I have a gift. There's a part to play in all of this. You have a part to play in all of this. Somebody needs you. I need you and you need me. And if, it, if it's not the case that you are exercising your gift, then somebody is lacking what they need. So we're talking about the church's ministry. You have a ministry here in this church. You do. Not just me, not just the people on staff, not just the people who teach or the people who are on stage. You have a ministry in this church and you've been equipped in that ministry. And so Paul tells Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, that was a special gift that Timothy had to be the pastor of the church. But then he goes on to tell him, you don't just get a pass because you got a special gift. You have to exercise it. Verse 15, practice these things. So there's there's some purpose in this. And then there's some practice that needs to happen. That means putting your gift into practice. Immerse yourself in them. The word means to be in. Uh, I've heard guys say it this way. I'm... I'm kind of into cars. I'm a car guy. I, I really get into cars. I saw Jason just nod his head. Yeah. Rum, rum. Some of you guys are into sports. Anybody into sports? Yeah? Hands? Hand or two? Anybody awake today? And so some of you, some of you like that. Some of you ladies, are you, are you, you into baking? Or into, no, so that's a no. I didn't hit him. I don't even know what ladies are into nowadays. I don't know. But that's literally what the word means. It means to, when he says immerse yourself in them, it's not the Greek word baptizo, but it's actually a different word that means get into it. Get completely into it. And he says, so that all may see your progress. There's, there's purpose and practice. There's progress. There's persistence. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this. Now, here's the result. Here's the biggest why. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, the word save here is the word for salvation. And it can speak of spiritual salvation. But literally, what it means here, we look at, look at the context, we look at everything he's talked about. This generation that Timothy was pastoring in, 
was a crooked generation is a lot like today, where people are falling away, they're apostate, they're going away from the faith. And what Paul is telling Timothy is, if you will persist in all this, you'll keep your church from falling away. And you not only that, you'll keep yourself from falling away. Listen, pastors are not immune to the temptation to leave the church, to leave the faith behind. No, we're not immune. None of us are. So you start thinking, listen, I can just sit in the pew right where I am. I don't have to come hungry. I don't have to worry about doctrine or discipline or devotion to the Word of God. I don't have to worry about any of that. I can just stay right where I am. Here's the problem with that. As a Christian, you're either moving forward or you're going backward. That's, it's one of the, you, there is no neutral, there is no standing still as a Christian. You're either going forward or you're going backward. Now which is it for you? Are you moving forward? I hope you are. I hope you're growing spiritually. Did you come hungry today? Yeah. Good, because we're going to eat in just a few minutes. Alright, praise God. Now, but let me tell you this. All of this hinges on the fact that Timothy had put his faith and trust in Jesus for his salvation. Timothy is absolutely no good to anybody without a relationship with Jesus. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'll ask you this. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you put your faith in Him for salvation? Have you done what we said? Have you forsaken all other hope? All other man-made religion? All other striving after? And put your hope completely in Jesus? Forsaken all? I trust Him. Is that true of you? If it's not true of you, but you want it to be true of you today, I want to invite you to do that. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a simple prayer. But it's your, you're telling the Lord Jesus that I believe in what you did for me. I know I'm a sinner. I deserve to die and stay dead. Go to a place called hell. I deserve that. I know that. But I believe that you died for me. So you pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But I believe that you died on the cross for me, a sinner. And you paid the price for my sin. I believe that you were raised again on the third day. And you reign as Lord over all things. I ask you to forgive me. Make me a new person. Come into my heart right now, I pray. I'll spend the rest of my life living for you. And loving you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Now this is your opportunity. If you did pray that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart, we need to know about it. We want to encourage you. We want to offer baptism to you, which is a sign of what's happened in your heart. And we want to give you resources so you can grow in your faith. If you're looking for a place to love and serve Jesus, listen, the church is where it is at. This is where you're supposed to serve. And so if God's calling you to join Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, 
and serve here as a believer. And you come. This is your opportunity. And if you simply need prayer, our prayer counselors are coming right now. Let's sing together.